Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Hey, everybody. Sourdough here. Today, before we start the show, I want to tell you about our upcoming conference, the Not Real Art Conference on March 16th here in L.A. It's a one-day learning event for artists to come together and learn, share, network, and grow. We're going to talk about protecting your IP, licensing your IP, and pitching your IP to Hollywood. Tickets are right now at 100 bucks. We got some great speakers, experts, artists talking. We got Human. We got Logan Hicks. We got Jorge Gutierrez. Of course, we got your boy Man One. And we've got experts from Hollywood and New York coming to talk about the law, talking about pitching to Netflix, all kinds of exciting stuff. So go to notrealart.com to get your tickets today. Thanks so much. Now let's start the show. Hello, this is Siri, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Not Real Art. I live for this shit because it's totally lit. Welcome to Not Real Art, Siri's favorite creative culture podcast with your dear friend, Sourdough. I am here with my dear friend, Scott Zimbler. Hey, Scott. Hello. How are you? What's going on today, pal? Nothing much. Finally, no rain in Los Angeles. I know, right? It's been like a, a river down the hillside here. Did you have any flooding? No, we did not, but maybe we'll see. There's still some damage left to look at outside. <laughs> well, you know, I, we need the rain, but just not all at once. Yeah, and when you have a swimming pool, like mo- most people do where we live, you've never seen a swimming pool overflow before, and that happens. So Interesting. Yes, that Did was you, a little bizarre. So your pool overflowed. Yeah, but again, it's a first world problem. It's nothing too <laughs> terrible because you've got a swimming pool, but you know it's yeah. flooding your backyard. Yes, it is flooding. So what, did you, what do you do in that situation? Just have faith that they built it properly and that it won't really flood. Like It'll just be a little bit of a light flood right, and right. not a torrentially terrible flood, and that seems to be what happened. So no sandbagging. No, no sandbagging. Okay. Thankfully, no, nothing. Thank- I don't even know where I would begin. If I had to start sandbagging, that's not my forte. Have you ever sandbagged? Because I have sandbagged before, and it is like a crazy, hectic, exhausting process. Well, have you sandbagged like in a precautionary or Precaut- you need to sandbag yes, immediately? Yes, no, no, no. Let me be, you know, it, was, it was precautionary. It was, we were pre-planning. Okay. You know, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't, we weren't like, the, the river wasn't rushing towards right. you. Okay, That's okay. Right. right. No, I've never, either, yeah. either way, I've never sandbagged. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. No, I, have, I have a friend who's done that. You know, the river was rising kind of thing okay. in Minnesota. Anyway, thankfully, we don't have that problem. Yeah, exactly. Although it is pretty cold. Uh, so, man, I got to tell you, first of all, thank you for Absolutely. sitting down. This is great. You know, we've talked a little bit about what, you know, what we're trying to do with the Not Real Art podcast. And normally I'm here with my partner in crime, uh, the renowned artist, Man One. And unfortunately, he couldn't join us today. But, you know, you have such an interesting job. I mean, I know, you know, you you say, well, I'm not an artist. I'm not an artist. But you work in the arts and you work with some of the most creative people in the entertainment industry here in L.A. You help promote some of the biggest blockbuster movies that Hollywood produces and releases. You have a very interesting job and it happens to be your company, Homebrew. Yes. We started the company as a marketing agency about just started our seventh year in business, started six and a half years Congratulations. ago. Thank you. Wow. What a journey. It's been just starting my own company. It was my wife's suggestion many years ago and I found the right partner to wait do it with. And- wait a minute. Your wife suggested that you do this she looked at me on vacation in hawaii yeah and after i had gotten off a work phone call with my old ad agency and said to me you really should not work for anybody other than yourself and she was right and i knew she was right and it took me a few months to figure out what that meant and then i did it you need to marry her again (laughs) exactly right that that is amazing (laughs) that is amazing i mean how many spouses right are stressed out by their other spouses 
jobs or passion. And it sounds like you've got a ride or die uh, partner in life there. Absolutely. And she knew the frustrations I was having at the bigger ad agencies because she had been with me now through a few of them. And so when she said it like that, you should really only work for yourself. I knew that she was right. And knock on wood, the last seven years have been awesome. Yeah. What were some of the frustrations that you were dealing with? And, and also like, like, how are you helping to prevent those same frustrations with your own employees? So I worked at a lot of big entertainment companies before I worked at big entertainment advertising agencies. Okay. And I was just telling somebody the story this morning. The thing that I hated more than anything was decisions that directly impacted my life being made in a room by people that I wasn't in that room to have an opinion on. Sure. And they would be like, we're reorging, or you now report to this person, or this is the the, the way we do things. Yep. And it didn't, it had a direct impact on my day to day, but I never had a voice in that room. And that was, was the issue for me was people that thought they understood, especially the, at the ad agencies, companies that specialized in trailers or posters or things like that, that were trying to embrace digital and people that didn't understand digital but making policy decisions about digital, that things that affected me. So that was really the problem of many problems at some of these bigger companies, specifically with my employees. It's just not like that. You know, Homebrew by its name is a small family type of operation. I mean, I say small, but we're 40 employees now. And it's really about like the craftsmanship and the quality of work and a work-life balance yeah. that most bigger companies don't really care about. Right, right, right. You know, it's interesting what you're talking about because, I mean, on some level – you know, fundamentally distill it down into what you're saying is, you know, always when you work for someone else, your fate is in someone else's hands. Yeah. Right. And so then you layer in the idiosyncratic kind of realities of working in the, you know, in, in a creative field like advertising. Sure. Right. So it ends up becoming, you know, can be quite stressful. And yet at the same time, not everybody has the courage to branch out on their own and start their own agency. Yeah. And, you know, and for me, it was like speaking specifically about artists and, and design and things like that. You know, I have a bunch of After Effects designers on my staff, sure. motion yeah. graphics artists. Yeah. And at the old companies, you know, they would need a plug-in for After Effects. And it's a $200 plug-in for a $100,000 project. It would take me a week to get that approved. You know, yeah, right. oh, you have to go through IT, you got to go through the owner, you got to go through this, you got to go through that. Now it's like, oh, you need that? Great. Here's a credit card. Go buy it. You know, it just, it's yeah. so much, it makes, because it is such a fast-paced environment right. with so many demands on our time from our clients. Mm -hmm. and, our, and our lives mm -hmm. and our and families, things like that. You don't want red tape and bureaucracy yeah. getting in the way. You just want to be able to do the job and go home at night. And, and that is really what we've been able to do at Homebrew. Yeah, 100%. So you mentioned digital, right? So right. I know obviously a little bit about your backstory, but well, part of the reason why I wanted you here is because you have, like myself, I think been in the game for a little bit longer than your average bear. And you've seen the transition to digital. Sure. And, you know, I think you were saying that part of what was exciting to you was that some of these biggest, some, some of the biggest companies in the world, certainly here in LA, the entertainment studios were new to digital. They didn't really know what they were doing. And you were kind of a hero coming in. You were an expert that they could rely on and you carved out a space for yourself as a real expert in this field. Right. Yeah, I mean, I was the third person in the universe with an internet marketing job at a movie studio back in 1995. Incredible. You know, I, I graduated from college. Where'd you I go? Had, well, I went to Indiana University for two years. Hoosiers. Go Hoosiers. And then I transferred out to Los Angeles to go to a place called Cal State Northridge, sure. where I went for two years, including the famed Northridge earthquake, which we will not get into right now. But um, uh, It's earthquakes, life in California. Exactly. That was my first quake was that one, which is a yeah. little that crazy. Was, hey, you came out strong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I don't get phased at all. So... But I, I went to school, finished school out here, and at the time, I was one of the first earliest adopters of America Online, CompuServe, Prodigy. I was living in my parents' house. I was going to school in Northridge. It was a commuter school. I was living in my parents' house in Brentwood. And I was basically under lock and key, just kind of making sure I graduated school and sure. I got my degree. And so I was discovering all these internet services. Now, wait and a minute. Were you under lock and key because you were uh, you, you basically partied too much at IU? Not, I not, not basically, but definitely, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> definitely. Because uh, I'm from Indiana. I know IU. IU for years was the party college. Uh, the, the best party college in the U.S. as per Playboy magazine. So, yes. Yeah. 
Anyway. No, I didn't. I didn't live in any of those parties. But yes, I um, <laughs> I had a little too much fun my first two years. Uh, I got it. I was I on this it. thing called, you know, it's fine to admit now, but I was on this thing called academic probation. Never that, heard of it. Yeah, that letter came home to my parents who were living in Los Angeles. Oh, and yes. needless to say, the the summer after my sophomore year, they were like, "You're not, not going back to college." Not their proudest moment. No, definitely not. <laughs> but it's really interesting because it led me on this path of moving to LA, getting an internship in college at Paramount Pictures, which is where I learned about movie marketing for the first time I had you know people treating me like an employee and giving me responsibilities and you know you grew up in Ohio which is where I grew up you have no idea about the marketing of movies and the marketing of TV shows sure. and things like that yeah. so I got a taste of that at Paramount as an intern I was using the internet a lot which was pretty much America Online back then in the yeah, mid 90s right. and uh, a guy that I had met who was working at 20th Century Fox's advertising agency at the time BBDO said to me hey our client Fox is looking for somebody to do websites for them. You know about websites, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm on websites. I'm doing websites. I know all about that. And I'll never forget, I went in to Fox with my black and white Apple laptop, the one that saw like a little trackball in the middle yeah, of it. Right, right. And they had never even seen the internet. They only right. had email at the and time. by the way, that, that computer was state-of-the-art. Oh, it was and, unbelievable. The, the first Apple laptop? Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. And I had to convince my parents to buy it for right. me because I was, was schmucking like college. It was dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I go in and I'm showing the heads of marketing, the, the America Online. And of course, the laptop doesn't work because the dial-up connection doesn't work with their phone system. So then I find a fax machine. I unplug the fax machine. I plug my laptop in and I have like the head of marketing, the head of media, the head of this, the head of that, <laughs> all huddled around this old 21-year-old laptop, 21-year-old's laptop to see America Online for the first time. And I was offered a job like that day. Amazing. Uh, and it was amazing because back then in the, the mid-90s, you know, I was looking at jobs, working in the mailroom at CAA, yeah. maybe, you know, if I was lucky, working for a publicist or something like that. Sure. And all of a sudden, right out of college, I had a job at a movie studio. I had an office. I had an assistant. I had an expense account. It was all unbelievable. I just worked in this field that nobody knew anything about that's right that's right first mover yeah, and it was really crazy was I was there a year and a half, and we worked on, for the listeners out there, you know, I worked on websites for movies like Independence Day, Broken Arrow, Romeo and Juliet, you know, so, so some pretty yeah, fun ones, movies. Yeah. But these are back when nobody knew anything about the internet, nobody knew how to track it, nobody cared really. And I had all the success, at least what I thought was success, and after a year and a half, they decided to eliminate my job. And the head of marketing at the time, this is the yeah. head of marketing for yeah. a major motion picture yeah. studio, I'll never forget this, said to me, the internet is a fad of the 90s, <laughs> it's the pet rock of the 90s and we don't need those geeks dollars now where is that person today yeah he's probably running a studio somewhere <laughs> no actually I, I think i know where he is but i'm not gonna say it on this right, right, um, right, right. and it was shocking to me that i was trying to fight to hire more people because the internet was starting to take off and we were starting to do ban you know ad banner buys we were doing promotional tie-ins things like that on all these websites and this guy didn't see it he didn't want to know part of it he just thought they were all geeks in chat rooms and didn't need their money and we would open movies without them anyways and it was shocking because they're also now i was 22 years old and i was out of a job in yeah. supposedly a growth industry right 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 and did you in that moment did you at all doubt yourself and say well maybe he you know maybe he's right or did you know better? No, I knew better, but I learned at that point about perception, about the you know, the bosses that don't really want you there because they're old school trailer guys who have come up through the ranks cutting trailers, don't want the digital guy there. And if the digital guy is got an article written about his website or the digital guy is being asked to go speak at Internet World in 1995 and getting some notoriety and some publicity, it kind of started to make what they did not look as important. And listen, still to this day, the greatest thing to open a movie is a trailer. Digital is still fighting for recognition. And, and awareness at times, but this guy wanted no part of any of that. So I really learned quickly that it could have been me, it could have been Bill Gates, it could have been Jeff Bezos. He just didn't want anybody doing digital marketing. Right, right, right. So he got his wish. He was a head of marketing. So, so then what? So then I spent about three months wallowing completely in self-pity. Of course. I think I watched every Saved by the Bell episode ever <laughs> ever aired on my couch in Westwood. My parents had long since moved out of LA, so I was living here by myself. And I was like, well, if Fox was doing websites, then I'm sure other studios are doing websites. Right. And I interned at Paramount in college. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to my old boss from Paramount and said, hey, do you know anybody at Paramount that's doing websites? And she put me in touch with the guy that was doing the websites it's there. It's so interesting to think about that, right? I mean, talk, it's, it, 
just the way you talked about it at yeah. the time, like as as it was as if it were this unknown, weird, yeah. like outlier thing. Absolutely. It was. Because it, it was. It, was. Right. it totally wasn't. What Paramount did was Paramount at the time had an in-house creative agency that worked on all sorts of Viacom creative needs. They would do everything from the Viacom holiday card to the movie posters for, for the films. Sure. And so they had a team of a few people that had started doing websites for some of their movies. Uh-huh. And so I went in and I met with that team and very quickly I was hired to work on one movie called Titanic. Never heard of it. Never heard of that one either, right? So that was just the greatest year professionally ever. I spent a whole year producing a website. And again, I don't consider myself artistic unless I'm building a flow chart for a website that I'm very artistic. They're they're really in demand, your flow charts. When I create a flow chart back in the day when we did websites, they were works of art. I mean, size of of a wall. But you know, I had plenty of designers. A lot of flow in your flow charts, my friend. That's right. So we spent a year just with this in-house team of designers and programmers and I was kind of the producer building this website for Titanic and we were down on the set a bunch we were you know in the the archives a bunch we were in the 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 prop warehouse a bunch getting stuff for special shoots and things like that and so it was an entire year just working on that movie which was awesome so so cool yeah it was it was really and then when it came out two things happened when it came out Obviously, it won a tremendous amount of awards. It was this unbelievably popular cultural, yeah. I hate that word zeitgeist, but cultural yeah. right. you oh, know, it was. Yeah. A film. And I was kind of like done. I was like, what else can I do in movies? I don't. I, I, if you work on that movie right. and right. you're three years into your career, what else are you going to do to top it? And so I was playing a lot of video games at the time. And I sent my resume off to Electronic Arts up in San Francisco mm-hmm. blindly, like January of 98, I guess it was. Yeah. I was now working on other movies at Paramount, but they weren't Titanic. Decent movies, movies like The Truman Show and things like that, but it wasn't Titanic. And three months after I sent my resume off to Electronic Arts, I got a call from a guy who told me he had just been made VP of marketing. They never hired anybody for their internet marketing role, and he was going to be in Los Angeles, and would I want to meet? Mm -hmm. And I was like, absolutely. So hopefully it's not too long of a story, but I booked a conference room at Paramount, Love to drive on for this guy. Right, he right. came to the lot oh. and he interviewed me in the Marathon Office Building conference room for a job at EA. A week later, he flew me up to EA to meet the rest of the marketing team. And a yeah. week after that, I moved to San Francisco. It was just a crazy situation that I just love happened. The fact like, that, that you that you are meeting with him on the Paramount lot leaving him a drive on like you were in his mind you were like he was like we got to have this well, guy well see that's what i thought i thought he would be really impressed yeah. turns out i mean he is still a guy that i talk to and he's somebody that is a genius and an unbelievably great marketer and, and runs a whole gaming company now but i thought i'd impress him with a lot and all that he went to business school at usc he spent a ton of time in la he wasn't phased at all by right. it right yeah he, he'd he been around the, the block yeah, okay good. Well, that's fine but so. so but so but still so maybe he wasn't odd uh with the shock and and in, in, in glitz and glamour, right? But, uh, but he me, knew, so right? But he, but you had instant credibility given your track record, given your experience, and then with this meeting, he knew that you were a serious contender. So you were hired pretty quickly. So how long were you there? I was at EA for a year and a half, from okay. about the middle of 1998 to the end of 1999. And what games are you working on there? Like, so I launched The Sims. Okay. Again, these are wow. almost all yeah. websites back yeah. then. There's right. no social media. That's and right. that. So The Sims, Need for Speed, Medal of Honor, some big franchises are still around to this day. Right. So I'm sorry. So yeah. just to clarify, that's right. Because you're getting hired on the marketing side. So they're, the, the gamer, the programmers are launching the game, but these are the websites that support the games and help market the games. Absolutely. They're, okay. they're, they're, they're right. promotional websites. Promotional. But what was interesting was, well, because I had more internet experience than most people at EA, I started yeah. getting involved in some of their online gaming yes. initiatives, things yes. like that. But every video game company in its, in its lifespan goes through some transition where the guys that make the games lose power and the guys that market the games gain power. Interesting. And it's always a, a butting of the heads when, hey, I made this game. This game, you know, put this company on the map. Okay, but now we got 10 other games and we need marketing and sales to run the company. Yeah. And so when I was at EA back in the mid-90s, it was a really complicated time because there was a lot of game producers that didn't want anything to do with me. And I'd be like, hey, I need assets from you in order to create this website. And, you know, I don't need that effing website. Our game will sell it out and things like that. And again, I was trying to do my job. So interesting, and, man. And, and they, the, the, the sort of 
of gay territorial egos. Yeah, yeah. it was crazy. And, and when you when I had worked in Los Angeles, you know, and I'm meeting with Jim Cameron, and Jim's got ideas on the website for a Titanic. Yeah, shit, I'm gonna. Oh, am I allowed to cuss? Um, <laughs> Fuck yeah, you're allowed okay. to cuss. I'm gonna take notes. This is when my I, show. We can go where we want. <laughs> when I meet with some 24 year old video game producer, and he's upset because he wants the website to be this and this, but I'm answering the marketing and wants the website to be something else. Right. It, it was very problematic, and, and I found myself in a position of and and you know based on my personality I, I kind of speak my mind and i found myself on the outs with some of the game producers mm-hmm. because they weren't helping me and i would go around them to get what i needed but ea at the time was building this whole online gaming initiative and yeah. what happened was i was only there a year and a half because they wanted me to move into the online gaming space right. and it's not what i wanted to do i yeah, said hey, yeah, i'm a marketing yeah, yeah. guy this is what i went to school for right. this is what i enjoy doing right. and so it was almost like a mutual parting of the ways after a year and a half where technically i resigned but they also had offered me a job i didn't want so i really had no choice but to resign so but you just said something that got me thinking so you know you're a marketing guy that's right. Yes. You, you think of yourself as a marketing guy. Where does that come from? Is it in your bone? Is it in your bones? Is it in your DNA? What did your dad do? Wasn't your dad sort of a CPG guy? Yes. My dad worked for some big companies for my whole life growing up in Ohio. My dad worked for Procter & Gamble, and my dad was in charge of sales for Procter & Gamble for a very long time. And then when he moved to Los Angeles with my mom and my younger sister, he, he took over another you know, skincare company, yeah. and he did the sales and the marketing. And I always just found that that was a real interest to me, but marketing for entertainment specifically. Again, when you grew up in Ohio, you have no idea That's right. That's how right. movies are made. That's you just right. know you pay 10 bucks, you go see them in the theater. Sure. So when I started interning at Paramount and I learned about everything that happens behind the scenes to open a film yeah. was really compelling for me. Sure. And sure. so I didn't care if it was, at the time I didn't know it was going to be digital marketing, but I knew marketing for movies is what I wanted Suddenly to do. shampoo just isn't that interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially when you're bald, you know? And I've been bald for a long time, so it's definitely not that interesting. Oh, Matter I thought fact, that my, was a hat. That's not a hat. Okay. My dad used to come home with like experimental formulas. Hey, we're trying this out, we're trying that out. Yeah. And I was a guinea pig up until I lost my hair and then yeah, I wasn't a guinea pig anymore. So, right. Okay. So now, so you leave EA, they want you to go into online gaming. You're like, nope, not my jam. Right. I'm a marketing guy. And so then what? So what had happened was my old boss from Paramount had called me and I'll never forget this because it was Thanksgiving of 1999. I was at my parents' house in Florida and my cell phone rang. It was my old boss from Paramount who was telling me that it was a really crazy story. He said to me, he goes, Tom Cruise called me today. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, he wants, but he was running, my old boss from Paramount at the time was running a small poster shop. Mm -hmm. And Tom Cruise reached out to him because when we were all at Paramount together, we had done the website for Mission Impossible. And Tom was in production on Mission Impossible 2 Mm -hmm. and wanted the same company to do the Mission Impossible 2 website. Tom gets what Tom wants. Well, you know what? He was very good to me for a long time. We worked on a lot of projects with him. And so he called my old boss. My old boss was doing posters. He didn't have anybody to do websites and produce websites. He had artists, but no website producers. So he said, I know you're unhappy up in San Francisco. Do you want to come back? And, you know, we'll start, we'll just start doing MI2 and we'll see what happens. So I went back the next week and resigned from EA, gave him a month's notice. And this middle of December, 1999, I drove back to LA with all my stuff. In January 2000, I started on the agency side of things. Sure. And I spent a couple years at that company. At first, we just did the Mission Impossible 2 website, but because I had so many friends at studios and at video game companies and had just been networking all of a sudden within a few months. We had work coming in from a lot of different places, and that's kind of what started me on the path I'm on now. That's amazing, man. So, I mean, really, I know you're a humble guy. You know, you wouldn't say this, so I will. Being the trailblazer that you are, I'm guessing your name and your company are top of mind today for most marketing, certainly digital marketing folks at the studios in town. I think that, well, we definitely get reached out to by clients that have heard of us, which is Unbelievable. I mean, I'll yeah, never incoming forget. Incoming call business. Is, like, that's that cool. Happen, that's right? what you want. Right. And, and it's funny. A couple of years ago, I was sitting at my desk and the receptionist came in and said, hey, there's somebody from AMC on the phone for you. And I thought they meant AMC movie theaters. And I was right. like, what the hell do they want? And it was like a director of marketing at AMC that had heard about us and wanted us to pitch on something called The Walking Dead. It was like, yeah. all right, cool. So, <laughs> so for me, it is really rewarding. I think that my team and my company are on the forefront of a lot of people's minds on the social media space. I think that we at times lose out to bigger companies that have more 
pieces of the of the creative puzzle where we pitch on a project and there's already one of our competitors that's got a content team on the set becoming friends with the director and filming behind the scenes crap or stuff and they're got an automatic in that we don't have being an independent sure but because we're an independent we can you know pay people we want to pay them where we, we just have you know control over our over our team that we wouldn't have in a big agency right but yes we do my team is again i'm as i'm as only as good as they are and they are spectacular and we get a lot of repeat business from a lot of really awesome clients yeah yeah wow well so, if that if that answers your yeah, question no, kind of humbly. I, no no <laughs> i mean it, it 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 totally does and you know there's a lot there to unpack because you know you may or may not know my background is is as a graphic designer and a brand strategist coming through marketing services on the agency side right. and you know boy has our game changed over you know 30 years, right? 20 years. I got my start in 1988. But, you know, when I moved to LA in 01 to open the office for the agency I was working with in Chicago, and I had helped open that office, you know, my focus, my whole career had been really in CPG. Right. And when I moved to LA, this whole idea of entertainment marketing, it was just a black box for me. Like I, I, you know, there was, you know, people would talk about movie marketing, movie branding. And I just always felt like I had nothing to contribute because it's a different animal. It is. Although I'll tell you that when I was at electronic arts, which is, you know, obviously the definition of a, of a CPG company, some of the stuff I learned there was way more valuable than anything I learned at a movie studio. And it's helped me still to this day. And I'll tell you, I'll explain that. So I had never, you know, I worked for two movie studios, right? Fox and Paramount. I had never even heard of a creative brief. I'd never seen a positioning statement. Exactly. I had never, you know, it was like a, you know, some studio exec would wake up on a Tuesday and decide he doesn't like the color blue anymore and the entire campaign would change. But, But see, this is exactly my point, right? Because having come from a CPG agency background, I was very used to a brief and to a strategic right. approach, yeah. a rigorous strategic approach, something your dad at Procter & Gamble knows a hell of a lot Absolutely. about. Yep. We were, my last agency, we were the global brand custodians for Olay. Okay. Right? So, you know, Procter & Gamble, you know, <laughs> they are, you know, sort of the the the, the, the gold standard, right. right, in terms of being disciplined and rigorous. Yeah. I would see them kill projects they'd invested millions in just because the the final data came back on the global consumer research, you know, and and, and they just decided, you know, the risk wasn't worth the return or whatever. Right. And then you come to I came to LA and I saw how really subjective, right? Yep. So much of the marketing was to your point, it was like, oh, so-and-so doesn't like the color blue, let's change it. There really didn't seem to be that strategic approach. Definitely not. And so what was interesting was, so I went to EA and EA even had probably two of the best days I ever had at, at a big company was EA had a workshop on how to give creative feedback and how to get creative feedback, Powerful. which was yeah. unbelievable. Talking yeah. to people about the the strategy. And again, I might want it to be blue, but if the designer wants it to be green and it's on strategy, then who, who gives an F? You know, it's like, yeah, all right, yeah, let yeah. it be green, you know, yeah. and, and teaching us how to give feedback, but also now how to elicit feedback because I have plenty of clients who I love, who are great people that at times have a hard time expressing what they don't like about something my That's team right. has done. Yeah. And I'm kind of like the whisperer will get on the phone and be like, help us understand. And I'll ask the questions to kind of drill down more deeply as opposed to, well, I don't like blue. It's, this is what's not working about it for me. Exactly. And so those were things that I brought back to LA with me when I left EA. And I'll never forget my first client when I got back, it was a client we were working with on Mission Impossible 2, but they had a couple other movies we were doing websites for. And I asked the client to fill out a creative brief and she was insulted because I'm not doing this. <laughs> right. This is an insult. Right. I like, no, no, no. You know, I was trying to maybe try to shoehorn a little too much of the CPG thinking yeah, in too yeah, quickly, yeah, yeah. but right. it was like, no, this will help us strategically and they're like no 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 just use you know use this use that use right, the key art and right, the story right. so. there was that do you know who keith bright is no i don't know okay so bright strategic design is in venice beach okay. keith bright is kind of a legend right. in the design world he did famously did all the branding for the 84 olympics here in la oh, okay, okay, okay. And, you know but he's done a lot of stuff he's you know he's a you know veteran now as they say and I remember when I moved to L.A., we became friendly and whatever, and we were talking about this. And he, he sort of said to me, he goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, he was talking about the, the studio marketing folks uh, vis-a-vis movie marketing. 
And he was like, he was talking about the posters, right? And he was just saying, yeah, they don't give it. They just want wallpaper. Like <laughs> literally like as many different concepts, you know, you they want uh, they want to see, you know, as many different concepts as possible. And they're just going to pick the one they like, yeah. you know, and it was it was just an interesting different culture. I mean, I worked at the company I worked at before I started Homebrew was, you know, the largest print design company, movie poster design company in the world. And they would have some campaigns and they would go through 2,000 comps for a poster. Crazy. And then the, the poster would just end up coming back as, you know, yeah. again, poster design is a spectacular of art and ability to have, Absolutely. right? To create a single image for yep. a two-hour film that sells that image, that film or TV show is fantastic. But at the end of the day, when you go through 2,000 of them, how many more original ideas are you going to be able to have? It exactly. ends up being comp 17 is the one that ends up getting moved forward with because right. at 2,000, you're out of ideas, you know? Yeah, creativity by committee. You know, it's, it's a hard one. What I found actually was tough too at the movie studios was creativity by research where – I would see, be in meetings where they would test six different TV spots. Three seconds of each TV spot would test well. And then they'd take those six different three-second ah, spots classic. and make a TV spot. And it's yeah. like, well, just Frankensteining, it doesn't mean it's going to test no, well. No, well no, and no. then the movie went open. They're like, yeah. why? Well, the TV campaign was no good. Right, right. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so for me, going also and seeing now in the last couple of years from what was – 10, 15 years ago, all about the website. Then it became all about maybe the banner campaign. And now it's all about the social media campaign. Yeah, right. And my company does maybe just a couple of websites a year at most now, right. which is, right. that used to be our, our only thing we offered. Yeah, it's all social now, right? Yeah. It doesn't happen on social. It never happened. No, and, you know, and it's funny because we were quick to get into social. And we we just had through a you know small a long story which I won't get into right now. Just as soon as we launched Homebrew, even before we had a company name, we had a social media campaign. And I had some friends at the time that were a competitor, and they were really killing it in social. And I was like, well, this seems to be the way of the future. Let's get into it. So we got into it much quicker than a lot of our competitors did, and that's really served us well because how much it's grown in the last six years versus things like banners and iPhone apps and games all really you know not dying in importance but certainly lessening in importance significantly yeah you know the average i was reading a while back the average tenure for a cmo at a publicly traded company right now is 19 months Jeez, it's like an nfl head coach 19 right <laughs> it's like all right <laughs> and you know marketing is harder than ever yeah right and you know back in the day right we had print tv radio billboard like right. you know now you have multiple channels. Brands have to be everywhere all the time, 24-7. Social seems to be, you know, the zeitgeist now, right, in terms of marketing. I'm glad to see that, well, maybe I'm being a bit premature here, but it seems as though we are finally realizing that influencer marketing isn't necessarily what it's cracked up to be. Yeah. And just because somebody has a million followers, does it mean those are a million real engagements that are yeah. going to, you know, so we're growing up around our expectations around social. Yeah. I think that the influencer stuff for us in the last couple of years, because several, you know, influencer marketing companies have popped up. I've always been somewhat reticent to get into that space because it just seems like, you really, yeah, like you said, if somebody's got a million followers, are they a million good followers just because they go on their on their, their Instagram account and say, hey, uh, go buy Olay, you know, skin cream. Are they really going to go out and convert that? And I know other people have made a lot of money and great careers out of influencer marketing, but my company's always been a creative company. And it's a creative company started by somebody as a producer, right? And my my, my team's amazed that I had a career before I managed them. You know, that back in the early days, <laughs> right. kind of what I was talking about earlier, hey. they don't understand that. You I had actually, a life before? Yeah, I actually knew how to produce websites and right. how to QA things and things like that but it's a creative company that's started by an account guy and i think that's one of the things that our clients like the most about us to, to be a little shameless yeah, plug for right, a second sure. is that we have such a great creative team but our account team is, is just as good and they're dialed in they're bringing stuff in on schedule on budget on time things like that they're really good yeah. at communicating and you kind of need both in the agency world you can't just be an unbelievable shop of designers that nobody knows about 100 percent, 100 percent, and yeah, it's that also that it sounds like you guys have a really nice model and that you're small enough to be integrated because in those bigger agencies, right, like the classic disconnect was between the account guy and the creative guy because the account guy was always promising, you know, whatever to the client and kowtowing to the client only to come back to the creative and the creative go, we can't do that. Yeah, absolutely. And we had at the, at the old company, again, you know, it's been now six years since I was at that old company. So most of my scars have healed, but you know, but they still in therapy, right? They, they, yeah, <laughs> I definitely still in therapy, but they would come to me a lot. And again, it was a very big, successful company, a lot of wonderful people that worked there, but they had their own clients. 
And I had my own clients and they would come to me often with a project from one of their print clients saying, hey, I got $1,000 for this. We need to turn it around by tomorrow. And I would be like, well, this is $10,000 worth of work. It's going to take two months to do and I'm busy. (laughs) And and so that caused me some of the beginning of the end for me, my old company, which was like, what's more important? The clients that I'm bringing in into digital to start a business with or your need for just somebody to be able to react and immediate and take no money on a project. And so they just didn't understand digital and thought, oh, it's just a website. How hard will that be? But again, if it's a good website back in the day, it took a lot of planning. It wasn't like you could just whip a, a poster and put it up online. A hundred percent, you know, and it's so many interesting, you know, drivers of that, right? And really, at the end of the day, it sort of boils down to a lack of understanding education of the creative process, right? And and how both on the account side right. and the client side, and just how creative, at least good creative, thoughtful creative, strategic creative needs some time to breathe to get to the most, perhaps the, the most thoughtful solution. But then you've got the real kind of constraints of time and money around the production of it all. Well, that's why we like social media so much because yeah. social media for us has been in my creative director, I have two creative directors at Homebrew. One, you know, they, they say this all the time that in the old days, when you had a poster, the poster dictated pretty much the entire creative campaign, right? The website looked like some sure. variation of the poster. Sure. Yep. The ad banner campaign completely looked like the poster. But now with social media, we're creating, you know, 30 statics and 30 videos to promote a movie over a six-month span. Right. That can't all look like the poster. It's got to be its own unique well, creative. And this, yeah, and this is what's been interesting, too, because it feels like, you know, because back in the day, right, if it didn't, it had to align with the brand book. Right. Right, like it, your graphic standards, brand guidelines, yep. like you had to be sacred about these cows or whatever, right? right? But now, because I guess authenticity is at an all-time high and you want to, you know, people like the view behind the curtain and see the behind the scenes. And, and because we need content, content, content to be on these channels, the constraints and have been relaxed a bit and clients are relaxed a bit and you can you can now be more creative yeah. and be yeah with your content. As my creative director, Chris says, you know, they're not all as precious. When you get, when you yeah. have one poster or one right. trailer, it's very precious. Right. When you got 30, 15 second micro videos, you can be a little crazy with a couple. You can be a little fun with a few. And sometimes those are the ones that end up sticking the most organically. And then the mm-hmm. clients will end up a lot of times wanting to put money behind those. So talk about the first time one of your campaigns or one of your social media posts went quote unquote viral. Well, I would say that the first thing that I can think of was actually for it was a motion graphics thing we had created when NBC launched the the show The Blacklist a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. NBC was one of the first clients we had when we started Homebrew, and they're mm-hmm. still a great client to this day. And we had created a motion graphics piece for them. It was originally intended to be an ad banner piece. We weren't really sure what else it was going to come up with. And they they reached out to us and asked for our files. Whenever a client asks for your files, that's usually a bad sign. Yeah. They're giving it to somebody else. They don't like it. What's going on? And we said, why? What's going on? They're like, oh, we're going to turn it into a Times Square billboard. We like it so much. I was like, well, that's pretty fucking cool. All right. And at, very cool. at the time, we actually had a social media producer who lived in Manhattan. And I called him up. And I'm like, Jordan, I need you to go to Times Square today for me. He's like, why? I was like, bring a camera and, and, and film and this thing. And stand in the cold all day long. <laughs> yeah, <and> t- <laughs> film this thing and send it back to us. Yeah. So we have it for a portfolio. So that yeah. was pretty early on with something like that. Right. We've worked on, in the last six years, some campaigns that have been humongous. You know, when you say viral, big internet sensations, you know, things like the Lego movie where we won some awards for that. We won some awards for some of the horror movies we've done, things like that, where you're working on these big franchises that already have a built-in audience, like Fantastic Beasts we just worked on or a Lego movie, things like that we work on for Warner Brothers, where those are already in the culture. Mm -hmm. So they're big hits almost even before we touch them. You know, people already know they're coming out. They're excited about it. I'm trying to think of other projects. There's been a few projects that we worked on that, like, I'll give you one example that comes to mind in a movie because the sequel's coming out real soon. A movie called Happy Death Day that Universal released a couple years ago. Horror okay. movie. It was like Scream meets Groundhog Day. Okay. And by the way, if you haven't seen it, it's a real – I'm talking directly to the microphone now. <laughs> it's a great movie. It's a fun – it's a fun I'll have to check it out. I haven't, movie. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't It's hilarious. It. Okay. I think it's great. Okay. And so we did some – Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day. Okay. The sequel, Happy Death Day to you. Coming, I know there's going to be a lot soon. of people happy on my death day. But So we worked on that movie couple years ago and it was a little I get I don't know what the studio's positioning was on the time but to us it seemed like another horror movie horror movie of the month yeah the movie really hit it was a great movie really entertaining our campaign was very fun very 
culturally relevant, you know, very timely in terms of the content we're creating. It's one of the things about Universal. Most of our clients are just very trusting in us. We're giving them stuff. And ultimately, it was just a great campaign that I still show. Whenever I go to meet new clients and do new business, I still show some of the content and some of the creative we did from that movie two years ago yeah. because of how much fun it was. And, and the movie was a huge hit. They're making a sequel now, which will hopefully be a hit as well. Right. And we're on that one as well. So, you know, again, another shameless plug. But it just was a movie that I don't think there were nearly the expectations for it. You know, when you've got a Lego movie or Fantastic Beasts or things like that, you're expecting a certain level of box office, right? When you have a movie that probably costs $10 million to make, you're not really sure what to do with it. And all of a sudden, it's the number one opening. It was like $28 million opening weekend. It was right. just such a great thing. So that, that's one that comes to the top of my head of that right. was just totally unexpected. You know, being the boss is so stressful. You know, I mean, on one hand, I mean, yes, you work in this sort of fun, sexy, creative area. But on the other hand, you're the owner of the company. You yeah. run you run the ship. You know, you're the captain of the ship. It's stressful, right? You know, one of the things that you have to deal with, right, is morale, staff retention, yeah. all of those things. You know, the creatives and the the brilliant minds that helped you on the first movie, are they still with you for this uh, sequel? We have been really fortunate. I don't want to say lucky because I, I know why it is, but we've been very fortunate to have a very low turnover rate. Uh, that in says the six a lot. Years. Well, what, I mean, yeah. uh, we've had only, I think, in six years, maybe one employee leave to go to a competitor that we wanted to keep. And then two years later, that employee came back. So, you know, there have been employees that have left to go to competitors, but they left to go to competitors because we don't see a future for them and they need to find a new, and it's kind of, you know, works itself out. But so we have a very high staff retention. Mm. So yes, pretty much the same people that worked on, the same people that worked on our first movie six years ago, for the most part, some people that are working on it today. That says a lot. I mean, because one of the, you know, sort of dirty little secrets, I think, on the creative side, on the agency side for years is like, you know, agencies like to show their case studies, like to show their portfolio, oh. and they get hired because of that case or that portfolio piece. But the team or the strategist or the creative director that did that work has now moved on, you know, three agencies later. Absolutely. And when we first started the company, we had to be really smart about that because I didn't have a very good party in the ways with my old company. And I had taken the entire creative team with me. Like we started homebrew <laughs> with the entire creative team. So I had to go to clients and say, hey, listen, this is the team that did this work, but it was at a different company. Right. And then within six months, we had our own portfolio work sure. to, to show. I think what we do, and this is again, talking about, I understand, you know, the podcast, obviously for, for artists and, and art enthusiasts, predominantly what I do with my designers and, and even even my, my account executives and, and programmers, things like that, it's much more about, you said being the boss is tough, yeah. but for me, that's kind of what I was, it's going to sound a little cheesy, but outside of being the, the dad to my son, yeah. running my own company is what I was trying to Shout out to Archie, by yeah, the way. Yeah, shout out to Archie. He's probably wondering where I am today. <laughs> was being put on this earth to manage a, a team of people like this because we've been able to establish such a great culture, such a family atmosphere. You know, I, I live two blocks away from where we're recording this podcast and I have those people at my house every year for a holiday party with their significant others because I want to be... So does Wiz Khalifa. Yeah, yeah. Wiz Khalifa lives across the street from me. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't even call. That's a whole other podcast. We'll go over to his house and film with him. Shout out to Wiz. Yes, Wiz, if you're listening, I'm the guy in the blue garage door across the go, street. Go say hi, Wiz. Scott's <laughs> I, awesome. I almost invited him over for the Super Bowl party. I saw him and his son at his house because he doesn't have window treatments up yet. Right. So you can kind of see directly into the house, not yeah. that I'm stalking or anything. <laughs> I almost invited him over for the Super Bowl, and I decided my I couldn't handle it. Right. But what I was going to say was when we started the company, and I am the, the, the founder and the partner of the company, but I do have a business partner yes. who has been unbelievably active supportive. Active partner or silent partner? Well, he's an active partner. I see him every day or mm -hmm. every other day, mm -hmm. but I meet with them once a week. We right. talk about the business once a week. I see them in the hallways. We talk, we shoot the shit. Nice. You know, but once a week we sit and talk about business related stuff mm -hmm. and hey, I need to do this. I need to do this. And there's never been the word no in six years. You know, we've, Amazing. he's put an unbelievable faith in us. We've delivered on that faith by growing the company, sure. by, you know, by doing well, by working on a lot of exciting stuff. And he couldn't be any more supportive of a boss. I, I really just told him, or a partner, I should say, but I just told him before, you know, at the end of the year that I've never had somebody that I've worked with who's as genuine and as supportive. So so he really lets me, you know, run everything. And again, it is my team and, and my company. But what we did was when I started the company and I had to recruit people away from my old company, I said to him, this is going to be a Silicon Valley thinking company in the entertainment space. Because again, the company I used to work at, the big poster shop, 
nobody could work from home. Nobody could work if they were, you know, on a vacation day because they would lose vacation time. It was, there was such a lack of trust in employees. My boss used to have, my old company used to have this big sign-in board, like a digital sign-in board that if you were in the office, you had to sign in. If you're out of the office at a meeting, you had to sign out and you had to put where you were and what time you're coming back. My old boss was the president and the CEO of this 300 person agency used to have one computer screen at his desk constantly opened with the sign-in board up. Wow. he would, paranoid he, much yeah he would email me in the morning why is so-and-so working from home today i'm like how do you even know that it's like well it's on the sign-in board i was like because they're getting a dishwasher installed <laughs> right. or they can still work so right. so we wanted the company to be really an employee-friendly company yeah. so we put a couple policies into place and it was really funny because in year two we put these policies into place and they weren't going to kick in until year five and i was like what the hell what are the odds we're going to be around in year five right, right. i can make all now. the promises yeah. i want yeah. so one of the things that we have is a sabbatical program which is something i actually learned from electronic arts where if you work five years for homebrew, you get two weeks paid off to use all at once as just a gift. You know, go and travel the world, move, do whatever you want. It doesn't right. it doesn't count into your vacation days. You don't get paid it out if you leave, but it's basically like a two-week gift. Yeah. For, you've survived five years in this industry. You survived <laughs> five years with me as your boss. Take a two-week vacation. No and small feet. Go do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, and so we've had a few people. Last year was our fifth year, and we had a few people cash in their sabbatical, and that was, that was great. We started a, cool. a work-from-home policy where we have some competitors that are – all virtual, mm. and I, I don't like that. I, yeah. I like to be able to see my team. I like to be able to walk the halls, 100%. talk to them, look over the shoulder. And they probably do too. They probably yeah. like coming in and being there. Absolutely, you know, a certain so, amount of time. So we started this thing where if you worked for the home, if you worked for the company for two years, you get two days a month to work from home. If you work for three years, you get three days a month. So there's some work from home that we started again right. for for that. But what I was going to say was the thing that does it for me as. Again, I used to call myself a marketer earlier. That's how I started my career. I'm not a marketer anymore. I'm basically a problem solver and I'm a morale booster, uh, right? And uh, it is the greatest joy I have in my life outside of anything to do with my wife or my coaching. son. Is, like yeah, coach. To see my employees yeah. get married, yeah. have babies, buy homes, you know, that type of life milestones does it for me more than, wow, we just won this huge campaign because my team's great. We're going to win campaigns. When they go and get married and I'm at their wedding, that's something that's exciting to me. It really is a family vibe. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And we're not all going to work together forever, no, no, but right, right now it's, it's going really well. Yeah. So who is your biggest competitor? Well, I can't give him a shout out here, but yeah, don't, don't, I'll tell you you this. What's interesting is that what what is the, the, the the competitive landscape look like for you? There's, there's two types of companies trying to do what I do. There are the big traditional entertainment ad agencies that do posters and trailers and, Mm -hmm. you know, content and things like that, that have all tried to get into this space and with mostly negative results. Mm -hmm. I, I don't ever really hear of most of those companies as competition. Then there are smaller shops like myself, like some some competitors that I have that are the 10 to 20, maybe 40 person companies that just specialize in digital. Mm. And since social came around, those companies get a lot more traction. And really, I am good friends with several of my biggest competitors. Sure. I mean, I've been doing this for so long. One of my biggest competitors is the guy that helped convince me to go into business for myself. His exact quote to me, and he runs one of the biggest agencies in town. And my space was like, if you can afford to do it it's a great life and, and really turned me on to the idea after after my wife had had the initial idea and so i have a lot of competitors that are that are good friends i also have several competitors that used to work for me so those are people that maybe are not as good of friends yeah those are people that that feels um, like a betrayal yeah you know you try to be in, in particular my old company you try to be good to everybody but you're still at the mercy of the company culture mm. you couldn't create your own culture so when you're giving somebody a three percent raise who's getting sought after by a dozen other companies because they're in digital and they're getting offers of 10, 15, 20% more of a salary, you can't compete with that. And my bosses never saw that, which is why we had some, some problems with the old company. Right. Right, but right. but I do it business so anyway. So those are my competitors, and and I'll, there's so much work, and there's so many good people in the industry that there's very few competitors that I actually am not happy for. So there's been a lot of consolidation happening, you know, in the in the agency world, right? I mean, and that started decades ago. The big holding companies gobbling up, and now what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of acquisition of agencies and design firms that the client, you know, it's going internal clients. You know, Facebook famously bought, I forget the name of the agency, some of the big companies that are really using design as a strategic business tool, right? I mean, we've known this for a long time, those of us in the business, 
understanding the power of good design, the power of, of creativity, so on and so forth. And clients, for any number of reasons, are conscious now of this and are beginning to internalize these functions in a real way. And then even some of the big consultancies, right? So McKinsey and, yep. you know, Boston Consulting Group, I mean, they're acquiring innovation agencies yep. and design firms, so on and so forth. What are some of the trends you're seeing in your space around consolidation and M&A? Well, first off, I will say to anybody listening, if you're looking to purchase a digital marketing agency, then please find me. But I'm glad I'm glad you picked up what I was putting <laughs> down, my friend. No, you know, I don't know what I would do with myself if I wasn't running this, although I'm sure I could come up with something. And start another company. My golf game would get much better. So I think for us, the interesting thing is in the agency space, not as many merge not as many consolidations as maybe there were five years ago, right? Where big companies were getting bought by venture capital firms. I mean, I worked for a company called Creative Domain, which was bought by a venture capital firm in Chicago of all places mm-hmm. that bought another company called Trailer Park and merged them both together in, into an ultra, you know, yeah. huge company that now has like 500 some employees. And so, but I don't think there's been as much agency shifting and agency consolidation in the last couple of years. What's more happening is I'm sure you see as well is there's just the client consolidation. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, 20th Century Fox, you know, in blink yeah. of an eye, next right. week is going to be gone, you know? Right. And again, that's where I started my career. It's unbelievable for me to think yeah. that's not going to, I'm not going to see the Fox fanfare anymore opening a movie, right? right. The, 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 right. the Klieg lights. And, and so even though more companies keep popping up, the Amazons, the Netflixes, the Hulus keep popping up as replacements, there's just not, in some ways, there's more clients than there's ever been, but in other ways, there's less because some of the big stalwart ones really aren't in play anymore. Does right. that make sense? I don't know if that helps at all. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just, you know, I'm curious about just kind of the, some of the more macro kind of dynamics happening in your space, just because I don't have, you know, any visibility into that. The, the, the biggest change for us in the last couple of years has been the move almost instantaneous from static social design to motion social design. Talk more about that. Unpack that for me. Absolutely. So, you know, six years ago, if you were doing a social media campaign, you were just doing static designs, you know, maybe a couple GIFs, maybe a meme, mm. but you were basically just doing static comps. Still images. Still images. Yeah, sorry, still okay. images. And you'll get kind of like the idea of a movie poster. You're trying to sell something. And back then, it wasn't an image to sell the movie. It was maybe a quote graphic. It was maybe a review card. Mm. Things that were compelling, but static and still. Yeah. In the last couple of years, years, my company has almost morphed into an audiovisual company where we right. are creating 15 second spots. Right. We're cutting footage. We're doing some, some pieces of content that are all footage cut downs. We're doing other ones that are some footage and some design and other ones that are completely designed from scratch. And so that's been the biggest changes that five years ago, all I wanted was people that knew how to use Photoshop. Nowadays, I won't even interview somebody unless they know After Effects. And if they know After Effects, that's just because that's the, the software program that brings so much of this content to life. And by the way, there are some incredibly powerful apps that do exactly that. Yeah. And so talk about that a little bit, right? I mean, the the threat that you might be feeling from AI, from technology itself. I'll tell you, the, the beautiful thing is, and we see this a lot, is that it is one thing to be technologically savvy. It's another thing to be a creator, to be a designer, to be an artist. Mm-hmm. And we've interviewed over the years so many people that come in and they know 10 different software programs. They know five different, you know, plugins for this one. And they know how to do 3D and they can, you know, pilot the Starship Enterprise, but they can't design from scratch. Right. And unless you can design from scratch and you have a concept. Right able to communicate your concept visually because, yep. you know, some designers don't communicate, you know, yep. verbally as well as they do visually and, and, and vice versa, but you have to have that foundation. So we have a couple of people at, at Homebrew. I mean, one woman I'm thinking of in particular, who's a static art director. She only designs still images. She's been with us almost since the beginning is one of our most important people, mm-hmm. not because she can bring stuff to life and animate it, but because she always has beautiful design work. And so to me, the technology is great as long as your foundation is still in art. Right. And, and when we interview people, one of the first things we ask them is, what do you do in your spare time? Because nothing makes me happier than somebody that's, oh, I'm a painter, I'm a photographer, I'm a sculptor, things like that, that they have other artistic yeah. disciplines that they pursue besides just sitting in front of a computer. 100%. You know, and it's inter- interesting listening to you talk about that because it's I'm sort of thinking of different analogies. I mean, you're sort of like, you know, on some level, right, you're sort of talking about an engineer versus an artist. I mean, you know, there are some people that are incredibly good about building things, but they can't design 
the building, but right. they could build it, you know. And I'm remembering over the years how many young designers would want to, you know, come in for a meeting and, you know, try to get a job with us or whatever the case might be. And, you know, they would bring in these finished, gorgeous finished portfolios. And I would say, well, where's your sketchbook? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I want to, what do you mean? I said, no, I want to see how you think. Yeah. You know, I want to see, and, and, and by the way, can you even sketch? Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's absolutely. And so when we, we just interviewed a woman today that came in and and again, she sketched, she had motion, she had design. You could see she had her own ideas. You know, there's a lot of times where designers, again, it's a very fast paced environment. You're creating two to seven pieces of content in a day. You're going to run out of ideas, you know? And and so our creative team has ideas. Our account team has ideas. Once in a while, I sit down and have an idea or two and everybody's chagrin. Oh, look at you trying to play. Yeah. You know, roll the (laughs) sleeves a little bit, but you have to be able to to, to constantly come up with new. and, And we were, on some TV shows, we're working on season two, three, four, five, and how do you keep that content fresh right. three or four years into the lifespan of a TV show? I think what's really important also, though, is that in addition to being versed in other types of arts, you also are aware of what else is happening with the competition from a technology standpoint. I don't, I'd never want technology to lead design. But technology can complement design and can, hey, look at this. I mentioned this movie, Happy Death Day, a few minutes ago. So what happened on that movie is he had a great campaign. My senior motion designer, my head of motion, was one of the most senior guys at the company, brilliant guy. Can't fill out a timesheet to save his life, but fuck, can he design like <laughs> unbelievable? So, sorry, I cussed again. <laughs> and he had gotten this new software to create 360-degree videos. Right. And it was one of those things wow. where 360 videos were coming in, you know, popular. He had just heard about the software. He taught himself the software after right. hours on weekends. And so, happy death day. I'm not going to ruin the movie for those of you that haven't seen it, although you should see it. I will do. The end of the movie takes place in a hospital. And she's running from the killer, and the killer's trying to chase her and things like that. And my, my guy, Sam built an entire hospital wing in 3d wow animated it so you're running down the corridors and every time you turn back the baby face killer is stalking you yeah, and chasing yeah. you and things like that and it was unbelievable it was a thing that we did the movie came out october 13th 2017 i guess and at halloween two weeks later the clients wanted like one more really cool piece of content and so this guy sam took a couple of days he built this thing and it was just spectacular and so it was again he never would have been able to do it without the technology mm-hmm. we had the creative background to come up with what the idea was in the yeah. first place well but you know there was an interview i saw a while back with george lucas and maybe it was an interview with Charlie Rose, whatever happened to him. He's somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, but George was saying that, you know, art doesn't serve technology. Technology serves the art. Absolutely. He's a smart man. Yeah. Except for Phantom Menace. He's a very smart man. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sorry, George, if you're listening. But, you know, the the innovation, right, that comes along, you know, know, I'm trying to tell a story, perhaps a story that's never been told before. And as he did with Star Wars, sure. of course, right? And all that innovation that comes out of that. And, and we, with our entire design team, they know if they want to go take a class or a workshop or a weekend seminar or they need to leave early one day a week to go right. to some class, right. we pay for the classes. I mean, we, we want them to to learn and expand their technology, technological base or even their design ability right. because the whole thing just ends up in a better product. Well, and right. So in terms of professional development, is, so is there a fixed annual budget that your employees get to, to invest in their careers? How does it, is it kind of just, oh, you know, kind of happenstance like, oh, there's a great conference coming up. Can I go to this? Is it more, I mean, how rigorous is it? it it's a little more happenstance. Yeah, right. It's a little bit more like, hey, art center is hosting a, a, sure. you know, a photography class. I'd like to do it. It's, you know, it's $4,000. Well, we might not approve that. We might approve $1,000 of it. You know, they want right. to pay the rest, but it just depends. Most of the time we pick up the entire tab. Most of the time these things are 500 to to $1,000, take a class for a few weeks. And I'm going to want, but what I don't do is I don't find the class for my employee, my employee comes to us and says, Hey, I found this. I want to do this because right. a lot better if they're excited about it versus me saying, Hey, I saw this class in after effects. Maybe you should take it because then you're almost indicating that you're not happy with their performance either. I have a funny story. So, <laughs> so right out of high school, I got a great job opportunity. I was going to, well, okay. So I was going to go to Indiana university, Bloomington campus. That was the plan, right? Cause I was born and raised in Northwest Indiana. And so you, what, you either go to IU, Purdue, Ball State. Maybe uh, Notre maybe Dame. Notre, yeah. Maybe Notre Dame. So my plan was to go to Bloomington, right? And I was very much looking forward to that. 
much to my surprise, ended up getting landing a job as a production assistant at a publishing company right out of high school. Okay. And it was such a great job opportunity that I decided to not go to Bloomington, but to go to IUN in Gary, the Northwest campus, right? So that I could work full time at this company, live at home and go to school. So I was working full time, going to school full time, and I was partying full time, full disclosure. And so being a publishing company, right? And I did well pretty quickly. I got promoted pretty quickly, but (laughs) early on, they thought it would be great to send me to a time management conference, All right. right? Okay, because I'm in publishing, right? right. So we're it was a small press. I mean, we're doing like 20 books a year. Two, this was mail order days, no website, so we we're doing two mail order catalogs a year. Lots of deadlines, very deadline oriented, right? So I was, of course, you know what? I was like 18. I was very excited about my first business trip. Right. All right. Okay. And of course, it was in the glamorous city of Oak Brook, Illinois, which for those people who know where the story was yeah, going, I yeah, thought. Yeah, no. The sub, but, you know, for an 18 year old kid right. who's going to go, you know, stay in this hotel, go to this seminar. And oh, by the way, I got to take my girlfriend at the time, you know, so it's like, okay, we're going to get away for a couple of nights, whatever. Glamorous Oak Brook. That's right. So the, uh, that's glamorous Oak Brook. That's right. And so I was very excited about it all, about all of this. It's important to note that the office manager, uh, Susan, coordinated the registration for the seminar, the travel, and all that good stuff, right? So I took my marching orders. My girlfriend and I go to the Oak Brook Marriott, where I'm going to attend this conference. So the next morning, I wake up. I, you know, put on my khakis and my shirt and my tie, you know, because I want to be business casual. Fair enough. You know, I mean, it's not, you know. So I go into the conference area of this kind of hotel and there's several conferences going on. So there's lots of people kind of bustling about and I can't really see where my conference is, but there's this information desk and I walk up to the information desk and I ask the nice lady there, I said, excuse me. I said, can you tell me where the time management seminar is? And she looks at me dead in the eye and she said, sir, the time management seminar was yesterday. True story. True story. And I literally said, I just looked at it. I said, thank you very much. (laughs) I turned around. I walked away. I had to go back to the office and say, what the hell? Only, you know, as I said, thank goodness, I wasn't the one that arranged the travel because ultimately the office manager had to accept the responsibility for sending me too late to the time management (laughs) seminar. So yeah, you have to invest in your employees' career development. Just make sure they show up on time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and and again, it's just to see the, the, the knowledge they've learned, what they're able to do my one of my two creative directors so like i said i have two creative directors at homebrew and they've both been with me a very long time but like the one that i tell the story about chris when we used to work together at our old agency when he was just an art director i used to just sit and watch him work in photoshop and it was like watching a maestro it was it was it was just to sit there and stare and watch him control the keyboard and know the shortcuts and know the filters just to watch him create a piece of web art in front of my face was unbelievable for me and so i always wanted the team to be able to 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 have those design abilities first and foremost then layer the technology in on top 100 100 percent. well That's a good segue to remind our audience that we have a professional development conference coming up for artists called the Not Real Art Conference on March 16th. And we're super excited about it. Unlike commercial artists or animators or even cardiologists or car salesmen, uh, visual artists don't actually have a whole lot of professional development conferences and seminars to attend. So we are trying to help fill that gap on March 16th. We've got some amazing speakers, top artists, creative professionals, industry experts to come and talk about copyrights, trademarks, licensing, pitching ideas in Hollywood. So uh, we're excited about that. I want to make sure our listeners know about it so they go and buy their tickets. Scott, as a guest of the show, you are on the VIP list, my friend. All right, nice. You have carte blanche to come in and hang out gratis on us for the uh, valuable time you've taken out of your busy schedule to come sit down with us today. Do you want me to bring Wiz Khalifa with me? (laughs) me? Absolutely, absolutely. He's an artist. He is an artist. (laughs) He is an artist. And yeah, just make sure he brings enough weed for the the (laughs) whole conference. That's right. That's right. Make sure the circulation, the ventilation is good in the venue. (laughs) 
So before we sign off, sure. please tell our listeners, I mean, I know you're B2B kind of agency and our listeners are probably not necessarily a hot target for your business, but where can they find you online and in social? I would say the best place to find us is our website, which is recently redone at www.homebrewagency.com. Homebrew Agency. When we started the company, we had to make sure to get the word agency into our into some of that because people thought we were brewers of beer sure. and coffee and yep. things like that. So homebrewagency.com is, yep. is our homepage. And then our Instagram account is, I believe, just homebrew agency as well. Instagram is the best social platform to find us on because yep. it's the one that just shows more of our culture and more having fun. I think a lot of our competitors, and this is their decision and more power to them, use their social channels as ways to congratulate clients. Like, we're sure. so honored to have worked on this. And we're so appreciative. Yeah. Our clients know that we're appreciative of the work. Right. Our clients know that we're occasionally even honored to work on the work, but we don't use our social media for that purpose. We right. use it just to kind of show off the culture of the company, yes. the fun of the company, the people of the, the company. window into... Absolutely. That's what it should yeah, be. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I never forget one of our competitors. I won't name them or the movie, but they were oh, working please. on this. Come on, name them. Name they were em. working on this total throwaway movie that came out a few months ago. You know, your action. Which movie. ironically was called Keeper. Yeah. <laughs> so it was this total throwaway movie. And they put up on like their LinkedIn page. We are incredibly <laughs> honored right. to have done the banner campaign for this movie. Right. And I was like, hey, incredibly honored to stretch. <laughs> B. God bless banners. They, my company was built on banners. Everybody hates banners. But they're not the most exciting <laughs> thing in the world. Yeah. And you're like, it's just incredibly yeah. honored. I was like, right. come on, give me a break. Yeah. So we don't do any of that on our Slightly social. Slightly honored would have been way more appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Media, we're, 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 so, we're happy we got paid on time. Right. Here's right. the work. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, anyway. for, yeah, thanks for paying our bill on time. Well, Scott, thanks for coming Thank and you. hanging out and having this conversation. You know, please come back. I would love to come back. Please come back. I can walk here. It's easy. Yeah, you. you are <laughs> in the hood. So uh, please come back. I want to remind our listeners to follow us on social at Not Real Art Official on IG. Please, of course, subscribe to the podcast and comment and like and share with your friends. We need all the social love we can get. And we'll hopefully see you on March 16th. Until then, uh, over and out. All right, thank you very much for having me. It's been awesome, and I was so nervous, and I'm totally comfortable now. We should oh stay another it, hour. You know what? Yeah, if we see, isn't it fun? Anybody totally listening that knows me knows I could st spend another hour here talking about my company. That's so. why I want you to come back. So you know, we'll talk more. Scott, great seeing you, my friend. Thanks, buddy. All right, be well. All right, cheers. 